0: you're listening to the cornerstone word of life church podcast we hope you enjoyed this teaching from pastor Rhonda. for more information on our church please visit cwol.org well we started this series last week um, and we talked about how when uh, i went to the lord and i said lord how is it fair that people like me are born in the United States of America where we can hear the gospel just about any time. Listen, if, you're, if you really want to know God, there's no excuse when you're in the United States for not knowing God. Uh, there's Christian TV. There's the internet that's full of fabulous teaching. There's a church on every corner almost of the United States. There is no reason for you not to know. But how many of you know that's not that way all over the world? So I used to go places, and, you know, I went to a village in India where they don't even have electricity, where they have, you know, not much contact with the outside world, and it used to bother me. And I said, Lord, how is that fair that some of them have never or rarely heard even the name of Jesus? You know, how is that fair? And the Lord said to me, Rhonda, everybody is descended from, everybody has ancestors in common. How many of you know that's true? We're all descended from Adam and Eve, right? Right? So we all have ancestors in common. Even even the um, DNA stuff right now, all the emphasis that's on the DNA and all the breakthroughs they've made, they came out with this big thing a few years ago. DNA proves we're all descended from the same mother. Well, yeah, Eve, all right. But beyond that, we also have Adam, or Noah and Mrs. Noah in common. The flood wiped out everybody else. On the boat was Noah, Mrs. Noah, whose name we don't even know. Uh, Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three sons and their sons' families. Those are the only people who were alive after the flood. Uh, And so I said, yes, sir, that's true. And he said, that means, Rhonda, somewhere in their ancestry, somebody knew the truth. If everybody's descended from Noah... Then, then, somewhere generations back, everybody knew the truth about the living God. Do you understand? But what happened is somebody made a decision not to live for God and not to raise their children uh, knowing God or in church. or uh, And then what happened is that knowledge of God grew dimmer with every generation until in some family lines uh, and some areas of even the world now, there's such darkness, such darkness. They don't even know anything about him anymore. Um, and, and so, you know, I guess my point is this. All the decisions you make... They don't just affect you. They affect the descendants that are coming out of, after you. The descendants, you know, they affect your neighbors. They affect your, uh, uh, the world we're living in right now. Our decisions affect other people. They don't just affect us. Well, I'm mad, Pastor Rhonda, so I'm not going to church for a while. We well, are not just hurting you. You're hurting your children and your grandchildren and your descendants that are coming after you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, you know, I told you the story. I personally witnessed it within two generations, the total destruction of a family line when I was growing up. You know, when I was in middle school, I had some friends who, who were just really good sinners. I mean, really good. You know, they practiced until they got good at it. And, uh, you know, in middle school, they were drinking and doing a lot of drugs and, uh, you know, had children out of wedlock. And, um, one of them ended up in a mental institution for a little while and, you know, they just messed up. Well, when their grandparents came to visit, they were, they said to me, the religious grandparents are coming. Well, it turns out their mom was raised in church. But she decided not to raise her kids in church. And she decided not to raise them up with any kind of knowledge of God in their home. And I'm telling you, within the space of two generations, great destruction came to their family line. But I've also seen the reverse. How many of you know, uh, you as parents and, and our parents, I won't ask you how many of you had less than great parents. Less than godly parents. But even if you did, God can redeem your line the opposite way. I tell you, there's some of you who never even uh, grew up in a godly home at all. And all of a sudden, God reached down and saved you. And I tell you, now you're raising your family to serve him and to know him and to love him. And you, what you've done is you've taken your family line and turned it from destruction and darkness to, 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 to light and blessing. And, and all that comes with serving God. The Bible says he's laid out before us a good life. A good life a life of blessing a life of hope but listen the, the the things of god are not genetically passed down we have to be intentional about what we're putting into our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors, and the people that we're around every day now. Proverbs thirteen twenty two says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now, listen, I think it'd be wonderful if you were wealthy enough that you could leave an inheritance for not only your kids, but your grandkids. Just go on, y'all. Just bless the socks off all of them. Now, I think you ought to do it. Amen? But that's not all this verse is talking about. In the Amplified Classic, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. Now, I have never received much of a financial inheritance from my family, and that's probably way more information than you needed. Um, You know, when my grandparents all passed away, I got no financial inheritance at all. when my mother passed away, I got a couple hundred dollars that was left over from her life insurance after we paid for her funeral. We're still working on my daddy's estate, but you know, it's there's just not a lot there to distribute. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, but you know what? They left me something far more important than money. Because reality is, money comes and money goes. But the things of God are eternal. My mama and my daddy, they knelt with all of us kids at the foot of the cross and their savior became our savior and their God became our God. And I'm telling you that spiritual legacy of living faith in God is absolutely priceless. It has held me steady when the storms of life came, when the winds blew and the storms came. I told you last week, you know, my mama, after my parents divorced, she was determined we were going to church. Church was not optional. She was a single mom working full time, raising four kids, but she ain't taking nothing when it comes to church. I told you in my, you know, I got hit with a stupid stick for a little while after the divorce, and I was going through a really bad time. And it was time for church. I don't remember if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, but I announced I wasn't going. Well, my mom went and got a leather belt about that wide. And she said, you are going to church. I said, I'm not going to church. She started swinging and I started running. I got in the car and I went to church. And you know what? Even though she forced me to go, God met me there. God met me there. You know, I'm so grateful for that heritage. I'm so grateful that when things came up in our family, I heard my mama pray. I heard my daddy pray. They gathered us sometimes as a family and had us pray together about different things that were going on. That is a priceless spiritual heritage. The greatest thing you can give your children is a living, vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about religion. Religion is dead and dry and ritual and and has no life in it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a living, vibrant faith. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be sincere. It's good for them to see how imperfect flesh can walk in fellowship with a perfect God. And when you mess up, it's good for them to hear you repent. Yet to them and to God. Repentance is such a gift from God. Why? Because it allows us to course correct. If we're going the wrong way, the only way to turn from that and go another way is for you to repent of that and turn and go right. It's good for them to see you repent so that they know what to do when they mess up. And they're going to, because we all do. The greatest gift you can give your children is a living, vibrant faith in God lived out before them. My dad spoke to us of one of our ancestors clear back many generations ago, perhaps hundreds of years, who was a follower of God. But he was known for the countless hours he spent in prayer for his family and his descendants. Now listen, after my parents' divorce, if our relatives voted, uh, they would have voted my family the least likely to make it, the least likely to succeed why because we were all messed up after my parents divorce all of us kids we were just uh, anyway we were just messed up all of us kids were messed up and they all had their families intact and you know uh we were poor as job's turkey and uh you know they they were not as poor as job's turkey um matter of fact i used to tell mark when we got married you know never had enough money for a jean jacket back when jean jackets were cool I remember jean jackets were cool back in the 70s or yeah and I wanted a jean jacket so bad we could never afford a jean jacket and he listened to me and finally his mom got tired of listening to my wine she bought me a jean jacket after I married Pastor Mark <sighs> but my point is We'd have been, you know, voted the least likely family for any of the kids to turn out and do anything good, you know, good in the world. But you know what? All of us all had did, and all of us are successful in in different fields, but all of us have served God and helped in the church and been leaders in our church of one sort or another uh, uh, over the years and had, you know, been pretty stable considering. Why? Because we didn't get an inheritance of money. but of faith and that vibrant living relationship with God was modeled before us. You know, I'm grateful for that ancestor and I intend to meet him and find out his name someday and thank him because he prayed for his ancestors of which I am one. I have my great grandmother's Bible. It's precious to me. She was born in 1887 and and lived a long time and I've got her Bible. And it just blesses me to read the pages that she would have read, uh, you know, and and to look at it. And, you know, after my grandmother on the other side uh, passed away, my my mom's mom, she passed away in 1979 and she was the matriarch of the family. I mean, she was a pastor when it wasn't cool for women to be pastors. You know, know what I mean I mean sometimes women take a lot of guff right now but you can imagine a hundred years ago how much guff that woman was taking. But anyway, uh, you know, she she raised my mama. She, she lived with a vibrant faith in God that she passed down to my mama. And my mama passed it down to me. But when she passed away in 1979 and shortly thereafter, my, my grandpa died. Uh, you know, everybody was saying what they wanted. You know, all of us grandkids got to say what we wanted. And, um, you know, some took my... Grandpa's fedora, and you know, they, everybody was picking what they wanted. Um, and I asked my uncle who was doing the uh, the estate for a Bible, so he gave me this New Testament that belonged to my grandma. So this is my mom's mom's Bible. All right, and I have to be honest, when I got it, I was a little disappointed. Because I wanted a big Bible. You know what I mean? But but it's okay. It's cool. I'm just a grandkid. I know. Kids before grandkids. I get it. Uh, but, But this Bible didn't even have her name in it. So I was a little bit disappointed. But when I got to looking at it, I'll tell you what it did have in it. And that is this ribbon. Inside of this Bible was this ribbon. And this ribbon... Was a ribbon that my grandmother used to put in her hand when she would sit in her rocking chair and she would pray for our family. And she would say, Lord, this ribbon symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ running through our family line. And so I held it up before you, and I plead the blood of Jesus over my children. I plead the blood of Jesus over my grandchildren. I thank you, Father, that they'll come to know you. I still remember her sitting in that chair praying for us. Your most important job is to leave a spiritual legacy of living faith to your children and to your grandchildren and really to your neighbors and to your co-workers and to everybody that you come across in life. God is interested in and watching how we raise our children. In fact, it was one of the criteria that God used when he picked Abraham to make a covenant with. Genesis 18, 17, King James, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing, which I do seeing that he shall become, he shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. I know him. How many of you know he knows you? He knows you. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. God said, I know him, that he will command his children after him. But you know, some of the more modern translations have watered that down a little bit. So I want to read it out of the Young's literal translation. Verse 19. And the sentence, you know, the sentences read kind of funny because the sentence structure is different in the Greek. And this is a word for word translation, uh, out of the, out of the Greek, but it says, for I have known him that he commandeth his children and his house after him. And they have not just will in the future. They have kept the way of Jehovah to do righteousness and judgment that Jehovah may bring on Abraham that which he hath spoken concerning him. Now, listen, one of the reasons God, but not the only reason, but one of the reasons God chose Abraham to make a covenant with was because he knew him and he knew he was already passing on his faith in Jehovah to his children. Why is that important? Because God didn't want it to, to fade out in one generation. Abraham taught Isaac. Lived and modeled a life in connection with God before Isaac. Who then turned around and did it to to Jacob, his son. And how many times have we heard he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Those are generations. Well, glory to God. In my case, he was the God of Lula, my great, my grandmother. And he was the God uh, of Melba, my mother. And he was the God uh, of Rhonda. And he's the God of destiny. How many of you know that is a priceless spiritual heritage? Money comes and money goes. But spiritual things are forever. Spiritual things are forever forever. When God gave the law, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Listen, he doesn't just want your body checked in every Sunday morning. He doesn't want you to punch a time card on Sunday morning and say, fine, I was there. No, he wants you to love him. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, and do that consistently day in and day out, not just on Sunday. Yes. Nobody needs you to come here and act like you're, you're walking with God just on Sundays, and then you live like the devil Monday to Saturday. Because your kids are going to follow right after you. And the Bible says there's cruelty in the habitations of darkness. I want to spare them. I want to spare them from getting off on the devil's territory where he has access to bring death and destruction and suffering. Not that we don't have enough as it is, but at least we can keep him out there. So our first command is for us to love God with all of our heart. And Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. Listen, he wanted us to teach our children. but it's our only responsibility to our children to teach them. Listen, to me, teaching is mostly talking, but that is not all of our responsibility. In fact, to me, teaching is just part of our responsibility. I want to look at this portion of Scripture in the Amplified Classic. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and with your entire being and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you this day shall be first in your own minds and hearts. Then you shall whet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Listen, he didn't say, you know, just blather on. No, we're, go back here to verse six. It says, first, these shall be in your own mind, in your own heart. Listen, if all you do is give God a nod and a tip every now and then, that's exactly what your children are going to have. But they're not going to have enough of an anchor to hold their souls when the day of adversity comes. And trust me, the day of adversity will come. Even now, I never had to face a lot of the things our kids are facing now. I never had to go through active shooters at drill, drills at school, and practice hiding in closets and in, and in cabinets so that an active shooter wouldn't come in and murder me. I never had to wear a mask and be afraid that some pandemic disease I couldn't see was going to take me out. How many of you know they're already facing adversity and they need that faith in God? They need that faith in God. Hear me this morning. They have to have that faith in God as an anchor for their souls. He said, then you shall wet or sharpen them to make them penetrate the minds and the hearts of our children. How many of you know that takes effort on your part? That word wet means something that stimulates appetite or desire. You're supposed to be stimulating in your young people an appetite for the things of God, desire for God. How do you do that? By showing them what a good God he is, how much he loves them, that he has a great plan for their life, that he can keep them and help them and be with them and deliver them, make them want to know him. But that takes purposeful effort, intentionality on our part. When my daughter was little, when I put her to bed at night, I didn't just tuck her in and leave, I sat with her from the time she was a baby. And I would pray with her. And I would sing to her when she was little. And when she got bigger, we'd sing together and we'd worship together. And I quoted the Psalms 91 over her and, and, and her dad and our family every single night. I prayed. I personalized it. Y'all have heard me do it. I, I personalized it so much so I prayed it with her every single night. By the time she was three, she had it memorized. Not because I made her memorize it, just she heard it every night. But beyond that, I would worship until he came in the room. Why? Because I didn't just want her to know about him. I wanted her to know him. I wanted her to know what his presence felt like. I wanted her to recognize him when he came upon her for, for whatever purpose he would come upon her. That is a gift I could give her. Now, listen, I wasn't there every single time to put her to bed. On Wednesday night, she had an eight o'clock bedtime. But listen, I am my mama's daughter and church was not optional. So she came to church. She's just going to have to be tired in the morning because there are some things more important than that extra half hour or hour of beauty sleep. I know everybody's got to make their own decisions. I get it. But my point is, your decisions are important. What are you communicating to your children? If you're casual about the things of God, you know, we'll go to church when we can. Once a month, a little dab will do you. How many of you know that's what they're going to do? But unfortunately, in this day, in this hour, a little dab ain't going to do you. It's not enough to hold them when the adversity of life comes. Ooh, she's making it plain now. Lord, help us. My point is we need to add effort beyond teaching to make sure that they don't just know about him, that they know him. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. First, I want you to notice that word Train. Training is different than just teaching. Teaching to me is talking. Training is getting down in their, in life with them and showing them how to do it and then helping them to do it so that they are proficient at it, so they know what they're doing when the adversity of life comes to them. Listen, I've never been of one who would hide all problems from my daughter. When the trials of life came, she would hear us, you know, praying and asking God to intervene on our behalf. She would hear us drawing the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and confessing his word, and going after the devil who was coming against our family. I tell you, she saw us fight, and then when she needed it, it was in there for her to fight. Training requires effort on your part to impart to them and get them going in the proper direction. But that's a great promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, Pastor Rhonda, I did the best I could, but my kids have walked away. Well, you know what? You If you did, if you did your part, you can stand on this verse. If you didn't do your part, you can pray, you can stand on another one. Ask for mercy and find another scripture. But you know what? When you have endeavored to train up your child in the way they should go, then then that's a promise. And when you see them starting getting off, how many of you? How many of you ever got hit with a stupid stick when you were young? I got hit with a stupid stick when I was young. Everybody, every kid is going to go through a time when they get hit with a stupid stick. You understand what I'm saying? But I don't care what foolishness is coming out of their mouth. I don't care what the enemy is trying to do. I tell you what, you have a promise. And you need to take that promise and you say, ain't no way, devil. You cannot have my child. I command the blinders to come off of their eyes. I thank you that truth of God that's in there. It comes up enlightening their mind. Holy Spirit, everywhere they go, everything they do, I thank you. They have divine appointment after divine appointment of somebody sowing the word of God into them. I thank you you don't let them rest day or night till they return to you, until they come back to the truth that they know. I thank you, Father, that things of God are eternal and they're in there and they come up and they spring Up, I've got a promise. Galatians says, We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. If you take it back to Deuteronomy 28, one of the things that we've been redeemed from is watching our children be carried off into captivity. Not my child. No. Devil, no. But if instead you just throw up your hands, well, I tried. They're obviously out, you know, now doing whatever. No, fight for them. Fight for them. If you don't, who will? If you don't, who will? You got to fight for them in the spirit. Psalms 127, 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of thy youth. You know, when a warrior takes an arrow out of his quiver on the battlefield and he puts it in the bow, How many of you know, first thing he needs to know is where's that arrow supposed to go? Because even if he puts it in there, he just starts shooting in every direction. How many of you know that is unprofitable? That's not going to accomplish anything. First, he has to know where do I want this arrow to go? So if your children are like that for you, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. The first thing you have to determine is where is this child supposed to be going? Let's start with calling, although that's not the only thing we're going to talk about. If you pay attention and ask the Lord to help you see it, He'll show you the gifts and the graces that he's put on the inside of your children that are clues to their destiny, clues to what they're called to do and be with their life. Back when I did children's church, I did children's church for several years. Um, I, could, I could take you through the children's church and tell you the ministry gifts or the gifts and the graces inside of almost every one of those children. And I know some of that is pastoral grace, that it's in there to help us recognize the call in you so we can help you get in your place. Do you understand what I'm saying? But some of that is available to you as a parent if you'll pay attention. Watch for the gifts. Watch for the grace. What are they gifted to do? What are they passionate about? What are they strong about? It's clues to their destiny. Proverbs 22, 6 in the Amplified Classic says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and in keeping with his individual gifts or bents, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. God has put gifts and graces and abilities and talents on the inside of every one of those children. And you need to nurture that and help them to figure out what it is that they're called to do. Even from a young age, their gifts and graces are often visible if we're looking for them. If you can't see it, A, ask the Lord to help you see it. But B, ask him, just ask him, what, 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 what should I be working on with them? What should I be imparting into them? Where do you need them, Father? Listen, when you dedicate your children, you're saying to him, Father, you gave me this child, and I give it back to you. This child is yours. You know what that means? That means you give up being able to push them into what you want them to do. And you find out what God wants them to do and focus there. Well, bless God, I should have been a pro football player and I could never do it. So my kid, he's going to do it. I, he's, he's, because I couldn't, he's going to. Don't you do that to your child. Well, I always wanted to be the principal ballerina. So you shove your kid in every ballet class and they hate it. Don't do that. Or how about this? I want them to have a good enough job that when I get old, they can take care of me in the manner in which I want to become accustomed to being taken care of. So you think, what's the highest paying job I can think of? And then you just hammer them. Don't do that. What has God called them to do? Who has God called them to be? Where does this child need to go? What do they need to do? And then you can help them get there. The Lord, before, one before my daughter was born and one after, he told me two things that, she, that were part of her future, part of her destiny. And before she was a year old, I set about figuring out ways to help her do it. Some things she knows, some things she doesn't know. That's okay. Okay. I wanted to give her the skills that would help her to succeed in what God called her to do. But beyond gifts and graces that are clues to their occupation someday or what God's called them to do, where else should you aim them? What kind of a person do you want them to be? What character traits do they need to be a success with God in life? I wanted my daughter to be honest. So you know what? I made up my mind. I'm not lying to her. Not even about men in red suits breaking into my house in the middle of the night. Now you can do what you want. I'm telling you my conviction. I'm not putting my conviction on you. And in fact, it caused some problems. Because my daughter wanted to share the truth. And didn't always go well, but you know what? I thought to myself, if I tell her that this man is so good, he's bringing her this stuff and he's doing all this stuff, and and it's a lie, how how would she believe me about God? Maybe He's too good to believe it too. That's my thinking. Y'all, y'all, do as you wish. I don't lie to my daughter. I don't always tell her everything she wants to know, and she don't have to know all the gory details of everything, but I don't lie to her either. Why? Because I want her to be honest. She sees Pastor Mark and I be honest with one another. I've never asked her to lie for me. Tell him I'm not home. I want her to be honest. And I wanted to take responsibility for her own behavior. So we told her when she was a little girl, all of her life growing up if you do something wrong and you tell us, you'll be punished far less than if you do something wrong and you lie about it. You'll be punished twice as hard if I find out you lied to me about it. Why? Because I wanted to be able to own her own behavior. People who go through life, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. like that Cheetos commercial now. I saw you on the camera. It wasn't me. How many of you know those people never get anywhere in life? Y'all don't know, some of you are looking at me funny. There's a Cheetos commercial. Anyway, the husband's accusing the wife of eating the Cheetos, and she's like, it wasn't me, but he saw her everywhere with the Cheetos. She's got orange dust on her fingers, you know. But people go through life like that. As she was coming up, I wanted her to be able to handle her own business in life. I wanted to give her both roots and wings. So I taught her how to handle some business in her life. She said, Mom, I need you to call. I was like, uh uh-uh, handle your business. Well, you're going to make me call the doctor's office or you're going to make me do this? I am. But you know what? She made the, the, the transition seamlessly to adulthood. And came back and thanked me because some of her friends who were 20 and 21 years old, their parents don't trust them with their own finances. One one friend don't have access to her own bank account, has no idea what she, she's never been made to do anything. Her parents did it all for them. I I didn't want to make her dependent on me for life. So you figure out what character traits are important to you. And then you set about aiming for those as well. Hard working. Honest, takes responsibility, able to handle their own business and their own life. Those were a few of the ones we endeavored to put into our daughter. So once the archer, when he puts the arrow in, figures out where that arrow needs to go, both in character traits and in destiny. How many of you know if he just puts that in there, even if he aims it in the right direction... But just lets go of it, what's going to happen? It's going to fall to the ground and be ineffective even if it's pointed in the right direction. No, what he has to do is he puts that arrow in there and then he hooks it on that string and then he puts his own effort behind that arrow in drawing back that string. He aims it, then he lets it go. With his force behind it. You've got to be intentional, intentionable, intentional, intentionable and intentional about connecting your kids with God. Amen. Putting God in them, teaching them his ways. Listen, bringing them to church and hoping we'll teach them is not enough. It's not. I don't have time to do this. Honey, can you and Richard come here a second? No, you're not in trouble. Let me find it. Let me make sure it's in here. It is. Here. Each of you hold just the end of the string. There's 168 hours in a week, 24 times seven. I was going to ask you, but I don't have time. (laughs) This string is 168 inches long. All right? So every inch on this string represents an hour out of your children's life in a a week. All right? Are Are we together? All right. This is an inch and a half. That's an hour and a half. That's church. This is church out of your week. Don't tell me you don't have time. That's another whole sermon. I had a woman like, I just can't come to church. It's just too much time out of my week. I pulled my string out. I said, you, you can't give God this after he's given you the other 167. But anyway, this is, this is the opportunity we have to put into your child. And we do our best with that hour and a half. But listen, there's 166 and a half other hours in there that the world is putting into them. And you best be putting into them the things of God because that hour and a half is not enough. Even if it's supernatural, even if it's over the top, you know, whoo, God was in the church, in the children's church this morning. That, it's not enough. Thanks, guys. You can just take it and set it somewhere. I'll get it later. You want to jump rope? No, don't do that. We need to pray for them. We need to fight for them in prayer. If we don't, who will? Then we got to put our effort and our power behind them by teaching them first with our lives, then with our words. We got to teach them first with our lives, then with our words. And listen, if you've messed up, And I'm aware some of you weren't even serving God when your kids were at home. If you've messed up or you weren't even serving God, you know what? There's not a thing you can do about it now. Just forgive yourself. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and start today new. Start today being that example for your grandkids, for your kids. Be that example of the one who connects them to God. You have the opportunity to change and you can. One generation passing a vital relationship with God to the next generation. It's priceless. It's priceless. 2 Timothy one three King James, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, I thank God whom I serve uh, from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. He's talking to Timothy night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's in you also unfeigned is 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 real genuine not pretend not fake he said i see that real faith that was first in your grandmother lois then in your mother eunice and now i see it in you timothy i tell you that is precious that is precious in the Message Bible, verse 5, it says, That precious memory triggers another one, your honest faith. And what rich faith it is, handed down from your grandmother Lois to your mother Eunice and now to you. May this be our story also. May this be our story also. Listen. I appreciate you wanting to leave a financial inheritance for your kids and your grandkids. And you do it. You just bless their socks off. But I tell you, beyond all that, beyond the natural stuff, uh, there is something you can give them that is of eternal value. And if you don't, who will? Money comes and money goes. Inheritances come and inheritances go. But the things of God are eternal. Listen, there's nothing like going to bed and being confident that if something were to happen, we are all going to be together again on the other side. When I am absolutely confident, when my eyes close in death, that when I open them on the other side, my grandparents will be there. My parents will be there. My siblings will be there. My child will be there. Hopefully not before me. But you understand what I'm saying? Nothing like having that assurance that we're all going to be together for all of eternity. You have the opportunity to put a living faith into everyone around you. And if you're not a parent and you don't have kids and grandkids, you've got neighbors and coworkers that you influence every single day. When I worked for the insurance company, uh, I I used to, you know, part of my job was was hobnobbing with attorneys and and, and, and people. And, you know, that was really part of what was expected of me. And so sometimes they'd throw these parties and, and, you know, I'd have to go to these parties. But how many of you know I never partied at the parties? There were people who were partying at the parties but I never partied at the parties. I just had to go to the parties. But, but, uh, then the ladies that I worked with, every opportunity I got, I'd throw in things about God and I didn't give them a hard sell. And in some ways I regret that, but I would throw in things about God where I could. And then I left that job and went to Bible school and became a minister. But when I was in India, uh, One of my coworkers was trying to track me down and she found my mom and she called my mom and asked if I was there or if my mom knew how to get a hold of me. And she said, well, she's in India right now. And uh, she said, well, when you talk to her, please tell her for me that, uh, you know, she gave me her name. She gave my mom her name. And she said, you know, Rhonda and I work together at the insurance company. And she said, you know, Rhonda used to talk to us about God. And she said, at the time, I just blew her off. You know, that works for you. Good for you. But she said, I got a a terrible thing. And I was, you know, the doctor said I wasn't going to live. A terrible sickness in my body. And the doctor said I wasn't going to live. And she said, I remembered Rhonda's words. And there on my deathbed, I called out to God. Will you please just let her know that I did that? How many of you know? Everybody you run across, you impact you do. We have an opportunity to pass on a living faith, and we must. We must. Listen to me. We must. They have to have that anchor. Please. Please, they have to have that anchor. Your kids and your grandkids, they've got to have that assurance that God is with them and God is going to perfect everything that concerns them. And if God is with them, who can be against them? Or as Pastor Mark says, if God is for us, uh, who cares who's against us? They got to know who to turn to when the season of adversity comes. That's something we can give them that no one else can. A hundred years from now, no one will remember what car you drove. How big your house was. How big your bank account or your 401k was. But they're going to remember the spiritual things that you imparted to them. They're going to remember that you prayed for them and taught them and lived it out before them. And again, if you didn't do that, then just ask for repentance. It's easy. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I messed that one up. Help me from this day forward to be an example everywhere I go, everything I do. That's all you have to do. God doesn't want to expect anybody to be perfect because Lord knows we all aren't. If God is opposed to using imperfect flesh, he has a terrible system because that's all there is. But we have an opportunity to impart a living faith into our families that will sustain them, into our coworkers, into our nieces and nephews, into our uh, neighbors, into those we come across. Nobody else can do that for you.